0: Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com.
1: You probably shouldn't Google that. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm the other guy. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited today. We got Charlie Engel on the podcast. Charlie ran across the Sahara and lived to talk about it. Not only did he live to talk about it, it's a documentary which you can buy or download from iTunes. It's called Running the Sahara and it was produced by a little known guy named Jason Bourne. Matt Damon, everybody.
0: Matt Damon narrated. And the score was done by
1: Hans Zimmer. I mean, we
0: don't mean to drop names, but we're doing it. Batman?
1: (laughs) Hans Zimmer. comes out
0: an author. He wrote a book called The Running Man. This guy has had some of the highest highs and the lowest lows in his life, and he has learned a lot that he's going to share with us in this episode, and I'm excited.
1: I'm excited, too. He inspired me to get out and run.
0: I did this. I watched the documentary, and I got out, and I ran. (laughs) It just felt like the only appropriate response. Check out
1: Charlie's Highs and Charlie's Lows. Yeah next up Charlie in charge Charlie Engel we love making this stuff for you you can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts
0: get unstuck tell a better story and have a good answer to the question what are you doing today we're really excited today on the podcast we have Charlie Engel
1: Charlie Engel yeah, <laughs> we're excited. I just blew out again there. I got, I got yeah, excited. That's all right. <laughs> we don't like to I was going to jump in and
2: say, Charlie, English, bring it. It just seemed weird. Yeah,
0: yeah so I uh, I got the opportunity yesterday to watch the movie, Run in the Sahara, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. It yeah. was super inspirational. Thank you.
1: Yeah, same yeah. here. We both watched it at the same time. We are texting our ho- each other, where are you at? Our, yeah. <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> right. What are you wearing? Did this he awesome. yell at anybody yet? <laughs> yeah, that's that great. One, yeah.
0: So if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, I could kind of tee it up at the, at the beginning of the documentary, the first lower third, when you came on the screen, described you as a business developer.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I came up with that. <laughs> yeah. And and that is, you know, I've been self-employed here we are in tax season again. So I'm always reminded this time of year that I'm self-employed and, yeah. and, uh, that's been, gosh, it's been more than 25 years now. So you know, I've gone through sort of a most of my adult life uh, after having quote unquote normal jobs in my twenties while being a hardcore drug addict, which is a, a complicated uh, dance to yeah. So you managed you know, to, to be
0: successful <laughs> and still be a drug addict. I totally.
2: Mean- well, you know, with with me uh, to dive right into that, you know, in my twenties, you know, it was all about justification because you know my attitude was if I could be the top salesman. If I was the top guy in the company, I could justify my behavior otherwise. So, you know, if on this end, I'm buying a a new car or a house or I'm somehow outwardly successful, then, you know, my drug addiction would be overlooked or ignored. I always said, you know, the boss won't fire the top salesperson. Yeah, that Mm. absolutely turned out not to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Were you you fired from some jobs? A couple of times I was, I wasn't, you know, fired is a little harsh. I was, uh, you know, just, you know, just asked to take a couple of months off (laughs) all in a row. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it it is true. I mean, I got to be a pain in the ass, you know, at most jobs. And I had this. In my 20s, this recurring pattern of doing really, really well for a while and having a cute girlfriend and, uh, you know, having a great job and just everything going well for six months. Six months seemed to be my sort of my limit for that. Yeah. And then it would be off to the races. and. You know, what harm could there be in having a few beers and a few lines and, you know, and then I lose the job and lose the girl and have to move to a new city and start all over again. So, yeah. But how many times do you think you rebooted like that? I think I did that nine times. Actually, I don't think I did that nine times. I did that nine times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, send the And you book. were all over the U.S.? Did you go to yeah, different I, countries? Or? Yeah. I, you know what? I wasn't, I've, I've never been big on the middle of the country for the most part. So yeah. I'm either on one coast or the other. Mm. There's uh yeah, I can see that. You know, Seattle, North Carolina, Atlanta, California. Um, you yeah. know, so I, I don't know. I think I like having an ocean somewhere nearby. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's an escape. So,
0: I did a little bit of running in high school and I'm even embarrassed to say that, but you're like a, a world renowned ultra marathon runner. So I'm just curious from from your perspective, just give us a quick, how did you get from um, a rough start being yeah. a, a drug addict and, and bouncing job to job to being the elite athlete kind of at the top of the ultra marathon?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's actually really easily connected and it goes back to, in fact, where we're sitting right now. Uh, I was telling you guys a little bit, I'm, I'm from this area uh, originally, yeah, born outside of Charlotte, but my parents were both at school at Chapel Hill and uh, young eighteen nineteen year old college students when I was born and so uh, and my grandfather was the head track coach at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill for about forty years, so oh wow. Yeah, so he was a big deal and he was a legend, died when I was very young, so I never really knew him. But so running was in your family. Yeah, so I grew up with that. It was the same thing we kind of do to all our kids, uh, and that's done to us, you know, not not in a bad way, but you know, you're told, oh, you're you know, you're gonna be a runner. Yeah. At like, least you're gonna give it a shot. Yeah, it's a legacy thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, your grandfather was a great runner, maybe you'll yeah. be a great runner too. And and I turned out to be a pretty average runner in any sort of measurable way early in my running career i was a good high school runner you know did well in the conference state championships those kinds of things yeah went on to be an, an above average marathoner but i always tell the joke that you know when you're when you're running excuse me when you're running 200 uh, 255 or whatever, when you didn't run in sub three hours for a marathon, most people say, wow, that's really good. And then you're like, okay, like the top people at Boston or, you know, that puts me a thousandth place or not <laughs> actually today, probably not even that probably like four thousandth. So yeah. it's not, yeah. you know, for a bit of perspective, it took what I figured out is, um, and really to answer your question, my, my addictions led me, to crazy places but I always somehow I always turned to running I was a binger so I would I would just be off the rails for two months or four months or whatever and when I when I would finally for the hundredth time say okay screw this I've had enough you know I need to I quit you know and I would mean it sincerely but I would put on my running shoes and I would it was a combination of getting in shape and probably punishing myself to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. almost a little, uh, uh penitence.
0: Yeah. I read in an article, you call it penance. A little yeah.
2: Bit. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I I knew, you know, you can cause yourself pretty, I don't mean I was hurting myself. I was just making myself suffer from because some, because I felt like I deserved it. Yeah. And And it did, you know, it did serve in a way to keep me alive because I was I had a big problem, you know, and I when I was out, I would be out for, you know, days or weeks at a time without sleep. And just I, you know, I just I didn't have an off button. So when at 29 years old, I finally got sober and after an incident where um, just after my first son was born and, you know, I was counting on him to basically save me. You know i thought finally you know i have this other person in the world that's counting on me so surely surely for him i could stay clean right and that's not how it works you know so a couple months later there i am again on a six-day binge and people shooting at me and the police going through my car and just a a disastrous situation and i i realized in that moment that really foggy moment that it was the you know the clearest thought I ever had was you know what my son can't save me like nobody's coming to save me yeah. I've either got to do this myself or not and and I, I looked at it as I had to choose between living and dying and mm. I chose running. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, ch- I'll take C. It's A or B. I'll yeah, take C. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some people would consider running some form <laughs> of dying. I think. Right? Yeah. You know and for me it just really changed things you know i i i decided through a series of just experiences i ran a lot of marathons in the first few years of my sobriety and i i thought i could sort of pound out the addict like yeah. i could get rid of that guy and i figured out after a while that actually the addict and my addictive nature is all the best parts of me yeah and without that I wouldn't have anything because I wouldn't be motivated to do anything. Yeah.
0: Do you think that that's Mm. true across the board? I noticed like certainly that people's greatest strengths also happen to have like a a mirror reflection of their greatest weaknesses or vice versa. Mm. Like if you're really good at something, it's also probably the thing that's going to get you in trouble the most. Do you think Mm. that's a pretty universal? Or make
2: you or make you successful? I mean, because the fact is there's an obsession to anything. You can't you can't have a success except for a very few And I wouldn't even call them lucky. Yeah. You know, sometimes we see someone else who seems to have an apparently easy path Mm -hmm. and we consider them to be lucky. Right. I don't consider that to be lucky. You know what? When you're when someone sits down and said with you and says, you know, what's what has shaped you the most? What are the experiences in your life that have made the biggest difference? You know, I've never heard anyone actually say. Oh, you know, I grew up with a really easy childhood and <laughs> life was perfect. And it's really just all, you know, it's all been preordained that life is going to be really easy for me. Yeah. It's, it's always the stories of hardship that make the difference. And, and I choose with that knowledge. I choose to put myself in difficult situations most of the time, yeah. usually, usually just physically going to do something that's hard because I know. Time and time again, it's it's taught me that I know that's where the lessons right. are going to come. That's where the cool shit happens. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: You said in the in the movie, I wrote down this quote, uh, you were at the point in the documentary where you guys were doing 50 miles a day comfortably, you said. Uh, but I wanted us to push it to the maximum. I wanted us to suffer to find a new level of self-discovery.
2: I, you know, I wanted to be empty. I mean, it's the way I looked at it. I still yeah. visualize this today. And, and it's no it's no different for me today. There are times when I want a, a do-over almost where I just want to, like, clean everything out and get down into the corners and scrape that shit out and yeah. put something new there. And, you know, I wanted to finish that run across the Sahara Desert knowing that I was completely empty Right. And that there wasn't anything there wasn't anything left. I wanted to be different. Why would you take on running almost five thousand miles across the harshest place on the planet and want and have the goal yeah. be so you can want like, to be yeah, the I'll same guy I was when I started. Or that yeah. wasn't too bad. No, that wasn't it was terrible. fine. I'll, I'll that How was the trip? now was all right. I'm thinking about going back.
0: <laughs> I don't know who came up with the quote, but I always thought it was really it's just two words, just die empty. Like as a, as a principle of a way to live your life, like you want to leave nothing on the table when it comes to the way that you and I think it seems like you kind of have that model for your life.
2: I absolutely do. And it, and it is. Look, it's not that I don't want certain things. You know, I'd like more security sometimes, you know, every once in a while I yeah. wake up and say, man, <laughs> be nice to have a bigger fatter bank account or something like yeah. that and that luckily i'm happy to say that thought is really fleeting and then i'm like okay well yeah. you know i'm getting ready to go run across africa or something and so that's not going to put a lot of money in the bank but right you know but it is about I'm, i what i'm happy to say is uh i'm um You know, I think I'm with my kids are a great example. Okay, so they're both in their 20s now. And as, you know, the proverbial millennials, they want experiences. Yeah. You know, they're not buying TVs and cars and things like that. They're buying trips. They're going on. They're going places. Right. And so everything that they're focused on is going to have, you know, a new experience, a new adventure, learn something, do something. and, And that's just a, you know, that tells me I at least did. One thing, right. As a (laughs) a parent. And, you know, my mom did the same thing for me. You know, she taught me. She taught me how to think, not what to think. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such a big distinction and not not to pick on parents who, you know, we, we think as parents that we're, we're giving our kids guidelines or morals and ethics. And very often, all we're doing is giving them ours. And, our those those things as we see them aren't necessarily right you know what our, our kids need to make their own decisions otherwise they don't um you know they don't really feel it themselves and so i, I that's the greatest gift my mom ever gave me it was just the ability to to think for myself make yeah. my own choices and not you know and and to think you know not to just accept but to think my mom was a classic uh you know question authority type of a person.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think you maybe got that from her a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. 100% so.
2: So,
0: I'm So curious just a little bit more about the the documentary. I think cause it's fresh in my mm, brain. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Like you have a great idea. I want to run across the Sahara. I'm going to yeah. get a group of guys together. We're yeah. going to have this expedition adventure. It's going to be amazing. Um, I read somewhere that was it at that time you were, um, a producer on, um, your stream home makeover?
2: Yeah, I like, was. Okay,
0: I was. Yeah. So how did that? How did that even start to happen? Like I've got this idea into now this movie's getting produced and it's narrated by Matt Damon and the scores by Hans Zimmer. Like a lot of people have good ideas, <laughs> yeah. but they don't often they don't hey. often execute in that level. <laughs>
2: I just have to say one thing: addicts are the best salespeople. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> they just keep going. <laughs> we we believe our own shit, yeah. And we get other people to believe it too. Oh, so yeah. you know, I mean, but actually. In all seriousness, that is the case. You know, I mean, if you know and everybody knows an addict, right? I mean, you either are one or, you know, one or you have one in your family. And if you have one, you probably have several.
0: Yeah. If you, you don't know one, you'll know one soon.
2: Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it's just a it's a it's part of society. And and luckily, the acknowledgement of it is part of society. So it's not I don't have any trepidation ever about being Totally upfront about my my addiction and my recovery and my continued battle. I've been sober over twenty six years, but uh, you know I do look at it as a daily reprieve. Yeah. So, but anyway, the the film came about because um, because I started just telling people that I was going to be the first person to run across the Sahara. Right. I mean, it was that simple. I took mm. possession of this idea, mm. and people told me. You know, literally, my friends, it's not that people were telling, it's, they wouldn't say anything mean necessarily. They just simply said, look, it's a it's a cool idea, but it's not possible. Like there's no you can't get supplies. It's too hot. You, you can't possibly run thousands of miles across deep sand like it's just not possible. So forget about it. And and I felt myself, especially the addict part of me, it's like every time I heard that I let those people take possession of the impossibility and i took full ownership of all that was possible yeah and eventually i told the right person and i did have some weird connections because of working on extreme makeover home edition and yeah one did of the you guys work
0: with type anything yeah yeah see we that were. nice in real life very nice super seemed, nice guy. he seemed like he's just genuine guy
2: yeah. absolutely super He's that he's as I hesitate to use the word crazy because that's a uh, it's a loaded word, but he's maybe
0: more manic. Like yeah, he seemed like a, he was yeah. like he's always on.
2: Yeah, dude, he was a well, he was a spokesperson for Adderall. And I mean <laughs> and I'm actually not kidding. Like, like oh, an really? Official, he, he really like, was. He, he is, you know, see that's classic. all that's
0: a nice truthful statement yeah. as well as a funny yeah. joke. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> he's classic ADHD and he that's
2: is, great. you know, his mind was all over the place and he acknowledged his own sort of manic behavior and that that is a great example like we we're just well, talking you about you need a manic, manic
0: to build a house totally. in freaking four days totally. or two yeah. days yeah. They would That
2: behavior made him really good at what he what yeah. he did and, and yeah. he's also just a super nice guy and and you know good designer carpenter and i mean he you know he's a guy who absolutely got lucky and 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 yet by behind the scenes you know he had his own he his own struggle. Some of those have been in the news here and there, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody escapes unscathed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I started telling people and, and a guy who actually worked on the show some, I think he finally got sick of hearing me talk about this <laughs> era. Yeah. He's like, look, yeah. if you'll shut up, I'll introduce you to this guy, James Maul. Nice. And James Mall was the, ultimately the director mm-hmm. who who came on board. And I, I gave the worst pitch in history. I, I showed up late at his office on the Sony back <laughs> and I got lost and I'm sweaty and just a little panicked. And, you know, I'm 10 minutes late and I burst into his office and I just kind of like, it's all like to say, I like threw up on his desk. Like, Sahara, yeah. you've <laughs> never been done before. Toreg, Sam, you know, all this craziness. And, You know, he basically stood up at the end and said, you know, yes, you know, I'd like to do it. And I'm like, what? Wow. And, you know, a week later he calls and he says, you know, we need a producer. So I just hung up with Matt Damon and he wants to narrate the film and and uh, executive produce. You know, would that be okay with you? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, no, no, I'm not kidding. I actually deadpanned. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was really hoping for
1: somebody
3: better. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hold out? But yeah,
1: Matt. <laughs> really? Daniel, Matt that's Daniel all Daniel you got? Do, right? Yeah. Best. yeah. You, and you, you guys went, for, Matt, and you went for a run in New York City, right? We did. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
2: That's how we met was, you know, sort of a, I'm not sure if it was a tryout for him or for me. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I was still pretty... Yeah, I was idealistic about the project. You know, I wanted it to be a certain thing. And while, of course, I needed, you know, the only backing of a production company like Matt Damon's and Evan James Wall and all this was going to actually allow this to happen. Yeah. um, I didn't want to lose the uh, sort of the organic
1: nature of I just wanted to run across the Sahara Desert. Yeah. It wasn't, I, I read in the book, it was, it was so beautiful how, how you and Matt did the run. And I love how when deals are done or people are introduced, they share overlapping recreational interest. And that sort of led to, he, he felt your passion, you felt his passion and you guys, that's how it sort of went forward. Right.
2: Yeah. When well, there's a funny, there is a funny quote that I like. Um, I was funny that I'm quoting myself. yeah but, uh, <laughs> Well, you do you have know, a book. Well, I do. And Matt Damon is the one who actually, he's the who really put this out publicly because it was a private conversation. But uh, he, yeah. he looked at me after that run and he's like, you know, I just I don't know I, I can't go any far it's like ten miles yeah. is my maximum. Like that's the most I can do. And I, I did look at him because he's a really good athlete. Sure. He's a nice guy. He yeah. could do, you know, the guy. This would have been
0: like the third Bourne movie. Yeah. That yeah. would have yeah. been that time of,
2: the guy could have run a hundred miles yeah. if he really, you know, yeah. he wanted
0: to or Jason to. Bourne certainly could have. Certainly
2: could have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and I told him, I, I just said,
1: you just need to change your relationship with pain. Yeah, I remember that. That impacted me yeah. when I read that. Yeah, I changed my and, and after I heard that, or after I read that, I went out for a run. It was a cold, rainy day. I haven't run in 10 years. I've, I cycle a lot, but yeah. I was just like, I've avoided running. And I went out, I made a little video for you with my phone. I'll show nice. you it later. But uh, it was so cool just to get out and go. And I yeah. just had, it just, you inspired me to run. That's
2: great. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah it's important. I mean, it it is a look, I'm not a nuts and bolts coach. I'm not going to tell anybody, you know, how far to run on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but but I can tell you why you should run, you know, and that's the people assume that I like running. I don't actually like running that much. I like, I like what running gives me. I like Mm. where running takes me. I like the results of running. And, yeah. And again, I think that's the
0: way most people feel about exercise in general.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Although, you know, there's that euphoria you get when you're in the midst of it sometimes. Yeah. But Mm. usually like the quote unquote runners high, which I don't even know what the hell that means. But yeah. You know if that comes that comes long after that's mm-hmm. about endorphin release you know normally after stopping something yeah and you know and to, to not not get too uh overly dramatic here but the sahara desert is the greatest example of why i run and why i like to do these big projects is you know when you drive I've driven into you know I've been to 50 countries and a lot of them impoverished and certainly not not like here. And you drive into one of those little villages somewhere in the middle of Africa and and people will inevitably come at you with their hands out yeah. Uh, there, you know, whatever, it's just not their fault. They've just been programmed, you know, right. p- mm-hmm. people, Europeans or white people or whatever come to their area, you know, they're bringing yeah, money's just falling out of their pockets yeah. to yeah. stay close. You yeah. run into <laughs> one of those village on foot. Or on a bicycle or something like that. All of a sudden you are not different than them. Oh, wow. And the engagement. I mean, running across this era, I never one time had anybody like come at me like, what do you have for me? Yeah. Probably because I didn't, I looked like I didn't have anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, but you know, we had this experience of, of organically running into these villages. You saw, you guys saw in the movie. Yeah. People, they didn't know we were coming. Mm -hmm. Like, this, this and they big, all started running with you. Yeah, yeah. the kids would spot they us. They're like, "We're somehow. doing this. Like, We're running now." Hey, hey there's He's one of us. And we would run through the village, and and yeah. the kids would run five k or ten k out of the village, out into the middle of the desert wow. with us. You know, I'm I'm kind of worried at first. <laughs> You're like, maybe you should yeah. go back, kids. Right. And they finally <laughs> just like wave and turn around and go back. And like, where does that happen? It doesn't. Yeah. Imagine if I ran through Carrie and a yeah. bunch of kids came, yeah. like the Pied Piper. You yeah, get arrested get, for sure. I in jail. Yeah, in about like a minute. Yeah. You know, so those it, are the it takes experiences. like two kids <laughs> and the cops I'd be like, <laughs> two. Yep. yeah. yeah. Yep. Those are the experiences that that you know. When I boil it down, I, I rarely talk about like the physical undertaking, even though people yeah. got, you know. We ran two marathons a day, basically for 111 consecutive days. Wow. without taking a day off. And so, yes, the physical part of it was necessary. To become the, the, the person, for me anyway, for, to become the person that I needed to be during the experience so that I could fully appreciate it.
0: Right. So back to what you were saying about you have to change your your understanding or the relationship you have with pain. Mm -hmm. That was the quote. Um, I've heard a similar thing, but it was from a different concept. It was from a a book called Presence that I was reading not too long ago. And she was talking about fear and changing your perspective of fear to excitement and just Mm -hmm. that mental shift and how that can and that can do something. What is it like to change your relationship with pain?
2: Yeah, man, it's everything. Honestly, it's everything because comfort is overrated. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a mantra. of Comfort my is
0: very rarely, rarely a compliment. Like you look comfortable. No, like no that's right. kind of yeah. a backhanded, like, yeah. why don't you get off the couch? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. You look too comfortable. You know, if that's your, especially as a goal, like when did that become a goal? I don't yeah. even understand. I don't even
1: understand. Like financially, like people want to be comfortable. Wasn't yep. it human yep. nature to be comfortable and then life shakes us up and then we want to be comfortable again?
2: Yeah. Well yes, and so there's physical comfort, there's financial comfort, there's emotional comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we tend to always be looking for something else and well, I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I think again, the people who are truly comfortable, I mm-hmm. wouldn't want their lives if if I if I got paid to take it. You know, yeah. I really wouldn't. It's not it's, I'm not <laughs> just paying lip service to that. It's like that's not interesting to me to spend my time feeling um Just secure. It's like what? What is that about? You get one shot at this. This whole thing. So, when I say change the relationship with pain, it's it's about. by the way, too, I actually blame the invention of, like, the electric can opener somewhere around <laughs> in the mid-50s. Yeah, that like, was the tipping point. Yeah, somehow we decided we are now just too Lazy. tired yeah, to too tired. open our own yeah. cans. I need
0: a tool for the that. The regular <laughs> way. Yeah,
2: I just need something <laughs> to put it. And then it's like every invention we had in the world was, <laughs> was uh, yeah, was for, to make yeah. our lives easy. Now yeah. they just put
0: two in, in a baggie that has a pre-tour thing. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Got you it. You know?
1: Yeah. Now we have all this technology that just makes us bat nut crazy. yeah Yeah. there are some funny
0: like inventions like i saw one at the store was like 150 dollars for an electronic wine bottle opener like who needs to save who needs to save that amount of time yeah
1: yeah, that's really, that's yeah. like four or five twists, man. That's yeah. really, going to burn up my forearm. That, that is crazy. <laughs> Siri, open my beans, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be I a can smart just, home can. Just home eat room. them too. I don't feel like having a bowel movement tomorrow. So, yeah. just, you know, I'm just going to skip the whole thing. No, but I, I think that the, 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 you know, the goal needs to be much more, uh, and it can be anything. It doesn't mean a physical, you know, starting, and anybody who's started the new business, Anybody who's ever had a kid. (laughs) I mean, hell, you know, imagine if you had to be, okay, this is my favorite. People will say, you know, I'm thinking about running a marathon or I'd like to run an ultra or something, but, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm ready for it. I need to get all the, and and I always say, what's your definition of being ready? They're like, well, you know, I need to get in this place in my job and I need to have this in place and I need to, You know, they're pointing towards some future non-existent time when everything is going to fall into place for it. Imagine if you said that with kids. Right. I'm going to wait for all the I mean, kind of we all do say that a little bit in our heads. We want to have these things in place. And then then, every parent says there's never a good time. No, there's not. And you the cool thing is this is the best saying the best like lesson that was ever said to me by my grandmother a long time ago. And so she said, look, you don't need to know how to raise a teenager, you know, when your kids are born, you just need to how know how to like, you just need to deal with a newborn. Yeah. And like, as that kid grows, yeah. y- your understanding grows, you know, right. tremendously. And that's the, that's the beauty of the way the cycle works. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, a business or, a, or running a marathon, even you don't, you know, most people anyway, don't, you don't start by worrying about the 20 mile run you have to do on the weekend and training. Yeah. You know, you just got to get your ass out the door and go for a run. Yeah. And and begin the process. I also
0: promptly went out for a run after finishing the documentary yesterday. Nice. Yeah, I put on Very the good. shoes. I'm like, this feels like the only appropriate response yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's I how I go run. My work here is done. <laughs>
2: if I could if I could drop this mic right now, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would just drop it.
0: The stand prevents
2: it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We interrupt this interview with Charlie Engel to bring you an update. Yeah,
0: and the guys who do stuff challenge category.
1: So Joe and I have been back and forth about this certain commitment.
0: and There's been a lot of talking off mic. Yeah. Uh, A lot of... uh, Mm -mm. Feeling out. I guess what it feels like is... Do we have the time to commit to this challenge?
1: Yeah. So Joe approached me about it. Let's hey hey Josh, what do you think about running a marathon uh, as a challenge? And I said, Oh man, the time commitment and the, the, the immediate excuses, excuses, but I think Joe's onto something here. I think we're just gonna do it. I think we need to just do it. If so, you
0: stay tuned to the end of this episode, Charlie even talked to us a little bit about how to train and how to get up out of your head. And uh he was even gracious after the show ended to say he would he would go running with us at umstead if we wanted
1: all right here we go so keep this short and sweet get back to the interview we we're going to start we're going to start training with charlie engel at umstead park <laughs> and we're going to run a marathon we're going to run a
0: marathon and we're going to start as a nice precursor we're going to do this beer run coming up in carry
1: yeah yeah let's drop that one right here beer run carry one mile every quarter mile you drink a beer that yeah, really and doesn't I think sound- it
0: has to be like a, a high gravity beer oh, I, I, I think see. their goal is to make you vomit
1: oh a little aviator three triples and
0: i'm not certain i haven't done it my neighbor used to do it and it sounds like fun we're gonna we're gonna do it what's the date
1: of that when is that joe
0: i don't know off the top of my
1: hand but we will put it into the uh notes of this episode okay and we would love to see you there we'd love to see you there guys who do stuff beer run coming up and marathon behind that let's do this absolutely back to the interview here we go How are you seeing the world now with ultra runners and the popularity of these younger folks that, I mean, they get a lot of glory and all this nowadays. What, what is your what is your take on that? How do you how do you see yourself um, these days with that all that going on? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great
2: question, because it's a, the sport has changed a lot. And uh, of ultra running, especially. And and while running, I mean, interestingly, numbers for marathons and for like Ironman triathlons have actually dropped, not significantly, but starting around 2012, those sports have been losing oh, really? participants. Yeah. And ultras have been skyrocketing. Hmm. So, you hmm. know, here's how I sum it up. <laughs> Uh, you know, I did this, uh, I'll keep the story short, but I, I did a talk in uh, Des Moines, Iowa years ago and uh, about 10 years ago. And there's about 500 people at the pre-race dinner, you know, the night before. And I had people stand up if it was their first marathon. And this kid is right in front of me. He's like 18 years old. And so I picked him. And I said, so it's your first marathon, you know, tomorrow, are you nervous? Like, yeah, I think you're gonna be able to do it. He's like, he takes the mic and he's sort of this laid back. And he's like, no man, I, I ran a 50 miler last year. <laughs> I, I like snatched the mic back from him I'm like, sit down. And, and I said, wait, okay, let me get this straight. So you did a 50 miler last year mm-hmm. first without ever having done a marathon. And now you're doing a marathon, I'm like what's up? And he takes mm-hmm. the mic back and he's like, he just looks at me, totally dead man. You think I would have set this up? And he goes, dude, my mom ran a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and I get his point. I mean, that was like that drew a big circle around it. You know, it's become interestingly, it's still marathons are tough, like a uh, running a marathon for your best time, especially. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Because you're you're like maxed out for however long that is, you know, mm-hmm. three hours or four hours or whatever it might be. And so it's, it's very difficult. Whereas ultras are a lot more about I call them thinking, thinking person sport, because you have to. It's all about hydration and nutrition and body maintenance along the way. And like you, you have to have a plan. You can't go run 50 or a hundred miles without a plan. Kids, young people shouldn't call them kids, but especially in their 20s, like these superstars these days, they don't know that they don't know anything. They just go out and kick ass in these races. And it's, you know, I, my, my old joke in the nineties was, you know, you needed to be alive long enough to understand how to suffer properly. Yeah. You know, and these 24 <laughs> year olds don't know shit about suffering. Yeah. Right. Oh, and they yeah. but they're just out there crushing it. Yeah. So mm. I, I think it's a, I love the fact that that's happening and that, you know, that it the sport is evolving and people want some of it is a coolness factor. You know, they're not as they don't, you know, in this social media world we live in, they don't, Posting that you just ran a marathon, at least to some of these kids, isn't as cool as saying I just ran a hundred miler because people do go, what? You did what? Yeah, Like they don't it doesn't quite compute. Mm -hmm. And I think there is that, you know, so there is that part of it's look at me and some of it's just actually people want to do things that they don't see a lot of other people doing. Right. Mm hmm
0: yeah I get a kick out of those uh the twenty six point twos and the the different <laughs> the, the
2: zero point zero zero point zero always yeah. makes me laugh yeah I was gonna get one that was like four thousand seven hundred and ninety two <laughs> <laughs> people would be like what <laughs> <laughs> you need to get that for
0: your car They're like everybody else that's that's the goal speaking of like you have another on your website. You are currently in the process of what are you in the process of recruiting to do this 5.8? This big deal.
1: Yeah. What's up with this thing? What a,
2: what a terrible idea. <laughs> another terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> if we say no. that enough, will that provide people right, for you? Exactly. You can't do you this, can't Charlie. No way, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> 5.8. You can't even add those numbers. <laughs> um, so 5.8 is, is my latest and by far biggest project, which is, I think, saying, something. And uh, frankly, though, the idea came to me, I found notes and even emails about this project all the way back to 2008. Uh So this, this has been rolling around in my head for a long time. And as a recovering addict, it was another one of those um, conversations I had with somebody, you know, like after an AA meeting or something where, this concept of this never ending cycle of highs and lows, you know, that we all go through everybody on the planet goes through, you know, you're, you're you're not going to stay at the top long. And and if you're, if you're patient and you let the bad experiences, you know, move on down the road, you're not going to stay at the bottom forever either, whatever is going on. And so lowest to highest is, is uh, what 5.8 represents. And in its ultimate form in the physical form for me, 5.8 is going from the shore of the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the planet, Mm -hmm. uh, and actually running all the way across the Arabian Desert uh, more than 2,000 miles, getting in a kayak uh, in Oman at the the tip of Oman and paddling about 1,000 miles across the Indian Ocean, landing in Mumbai, hopefully uh getting on a mountain bike and actually cycling across all of India over two thousand miles to the base of Everest and then climbing to the top. It's only like two miles to the top once you get there. So
0: <laughs> I wonder if that'll be the hardest two miles.
2: I bet it would be actually you know what the 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 part of it that you guys just watched the Sahara. If I had had to climb Mount Everest at the end of right. the Sahara Desert, I would be like frozen on that mountain somewhere right now because physically I was so trashed mm. that there was no, right. you know, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it. And so 5.8 is about the Dead Sea to Everest is about being trying to get to the Everest base camp in some kind of reasonable yeah. Condition. And by the way, five point eight is so it's about forty five hundred miles from point to point, Dead Sea to Everest, but the five point eight it represents the vertical mm. distance between the lowest place.
0: So you don't have to work really point. hard to find the metaphors here, Charlie.
2: <laughs> that uh, Thanks. Are they, maybe uh, your are whole that <laughs> obvious <Yeah. laughs> your whole
0: life seems to be about a progression through highs and lows, yep. and now you're you're trying to move on a different plane. Um, totally and get
2: Totally. And I want to take, I'm going to carry a little flask of water from the Dead Sea that I'm going to fill up and I'm going to carry that with me. I'm going to pour it out on the top of Everest and, and join the uh, proverbial ends of the earth. And it's a symbolic mm. uh, joining of those two points because it's, you know, look, it is, this, this is only, um you know we got a certain amount of time <laughs> on the planet here right. and i want to see as much of it as possible and i i don't look at these things as physical undertakings as much as you know i i'm i like to call myself uh not to be too grandiose but a cultural explorer because i'm way more interested in Nobody wants to see me run that far. You guys watched the movie last night. The Sarah. Uh, it would have been a different movie if we just watched all the running. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, how <laughs> tedious would that be? I don't want to watch that. You know, I mean, why? Why would anybody want to watch me run 50 miles a day? Yeah. Plus, I'm a, you know, I'm a shuffler. You know, we are. I'm an incredibly efficient runner and, and what, that's a really polite way of saying I'm not pretty to look at when I run, you know,
0: it's this. You're not expelling extra energy for 90
2: degree Mm -hmm. angles and looking pretty. No, from the (laughs) knees down, I look really good. You know, I'm just, it's all about just continuous forward movement. And, and in the, in the, in the world of metaphors, that's, that's what I look at all the time is this idea that no matter what is going on, you know, whether you're at a low or you're at a high certain, first of all, don't make big decisions at either of those places because it's not real. You know, you, you, you don't, yeah, You know, you don't make some. Yeah. You don't make a crazy decision when you're at a terrible low place, uh, ending jobs or relationships or things like that. And you kind of also don't do the same thing at a high because neither of those things is going to last. Mm. You know, we're going to spend most of our time in the in the middle ground to yeah. some degree. And, you know, it's about it's about continuing, though, to put yourself in positions to to learn more, to hopefully impact some other people. And, and get them to understand that this isn't about seeing how easy you can make this life.
0: Yeah. Do you think that the the lows are necessary for the high? Um, I totally agree that most of our life is spent in that middle. Like most of our life wouldn't make a good movie. We're getting coffee. We're taking yeah. a shower. Yeah. We're parenting. We're but there's moments, right? That are they're high moments. They're low moments. And I feel like you you learn with experience. Like the older you get. There is something that comes along just like a, a belief in because of the experience of your life that this will pass and soon I'll be mm. here. And then this will pass and soon I'll be here. And um, I'm just really curious. You've experienced some crazy highs and some mm. crazy lows. Uh, I'm, I want to hear a little bit about because I love the, the kind of the outcome of it, how you ended up spending 18 months in federal prison.
2: Mm. You have to have the lows. So I mean, there isn't, you know, it is as simple as without the lows, you've got nothing to gauge the highs against even. Yeah. And for me, well, not just for me, for you guys too. And everybody listening, you know, we have this combination of things. Lows, lows are a combination of uh, self-inflicted wounds yeah. mm-hmm. and stuff that just falls out of the sky and hits mm-hmm. us on the head. And and really truth be told They're a combination. Almost everything is a combination. I mean, even the the out of nowhere disease or car accident or others that, you know, Probably a series of decisions, not necessarily bad decisions, but just whatever, a series of choices have led us to that point at that time. And again, some things are truly, truly out of the blue. Most things like my time in federal prison, which I'll, I'll give you the really brief version of that in a second is, you know, Upon reflection, because it's been six years or so since I've been out. Yeah. And, you know, do I own some responsibility for what happened to me? Absolutely. Was it was it fair? Was it just was it any of those things? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But so that's not you know, that's not the. So my goal is to always approach everything self-inflicted thrust upon me, whatever it is, with the same curiosity, an an, an open heart and a freed mind and to try to look at the difficult situations. And I know it sounds cliche, but as an opportunity for growth, but like for real. And And I had been saying to people for years in sobriety, you know, I was 19 years sober when I went to prison And I had been saying to people for years, life is all about, you know, who you are can only be revealed when everything falls apart. Yeah. Like, well, that's easy to say when everything isn't falling Mm -hmm. apart. And then it was finally like really my turn. Hmm. Usually I was saying that to somebody who just, you know, had another relapse or, you know, something terrible that happened to them. And it's it's consolation, right? You're trying to say, look, you're learning who you are. You know, these are experiences that will help you. And so in short, um, I became uh, the Sahara actually put me on the map. Right. So right. I did Jay Leno. I I was on all these morning shows, as we see in NPR. And I you got to, to do, do all the these junket. Yeah. I did. It was great. And I got speaking gigs all over the place. And I I, I was living the life that I wanted to live. Still not not one of like. Massive wealth because that's never been my goal. Like never been my yeah. goal. So But you get to talk about the
0: expedition. Totally. And, and, and spread kind of the, the
2: message. Well and and look, you guys know this too. So I am the in the crazy world we live in, I am the co founder of H2O Africa with Matt Damon. Yeah. And I raised personally, I raised more than six million dollars during that time frame. And Mm -hmm. H2O Africa today is Mm water.org, which is the world's largest clean water nonprofit. We just passed a billion dollars in funding. Right. So running the Sahara, like the idea of running across the Sahara Desert, this idiotic, just nonsensical idea has led to clean water infrastructure uh, for millions of people. Mm -hmm. So how could it possibly be anything bad about that? Like I get, I I don't talk about it all that much, but I actually get to lay claim to, you know, this ridiculous idea of mine has led to this amazing thing, which of course is really implemented by other, other incredible people.
0: I watched that talk (laughs) that you did and it was, must have been right out of prison. Um or oh, just the short de-lexers. after the due yeah. lecture. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned and it seemed like I'm curious now that you have more perspective and some more time has passed. Yeah. But in that talk you were saying like it just I was I was wiped off the internet. Yeah. For serving my time in person.
2: The day after, like it wasn't even, didn't even take time. I was, I was, uh, I was purged as I like to say, you Mm -hmm. know, I was no longer on the boards of nonprofits that I founded. I wasn't, uh, (laughs) I wasn't involved with companies that I started. I, unfortunately we see it every day, you know, we do live in a, in a time and maybe it's always been this way. And we, we kid ourselves uh, otherwise, but um, you're guilty, especially these days. If you're accused of something, you're guilty. It really, it, it's, it's pretty much impossible to, right. for anyone. From a
0: consequences standpoint, the yeah. accusation is enough.
2: Most people only read the headline and, and the byline. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Most people don't get past the, the first paragraph of something. Yeah. And so if the federal government, you know, <laughs> indicts you as they did me, Right.
0: Uh, Most of us don't really, I think, fundamentally believe innocent until proven guilty. Most of us, our no. default is like, well, if they have enough to bring an indictment. Right. Yeah. They obviously know something that I don't know. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and and that is, you know, it's uh, and I won't get on my uh, my stump today to talk too much about that. But you know, so I became the Sarah put me on the map and I basically became a target for a single IRS agent in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so that guy. For whatever reason, he saw the film and decided he wanted to look into my taxes like I'm driving a 10 year old uh, suburban and living in a rental apartment, Mm -hmm. you know, a nice one, but nothing crazy. And uh, and for whatever reason, he decided that he wanted to check me out. And so he did. And he spent 700 hours investigating my taxes and it came up empty. Totally empty. You know, I have all the memos because I did ultimately go to trial. Uh, Therefore, I got discovery, which meant I got to see everything along the way. So at a time when he should have dropped it, instead, he actually doubled down and used the Patriot Act to actually uh, get into my emails and listen in on phone calls and surveil friends and family and send in an undercover agent. Uh, I mean, it was craziness. And I mean, of course I knew none of this at the time, Right. ultimately to cut to the chase though, cause uh, this is too long a story. People can read the book if they want, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I became the only, really the only person at that point in the country being charged with allegedly overstating income on a home loan application. Yeah. Mm. And for that I could get, you know, over 20 years. And I read the a
0: New York times like article and <clears throat> they were quick to bring up a very valid point. like. <clears throat> Charlie Engel gets jail time and the CEOs and the people most responsible for. So this was at the time. Oh, eight. 08 09, yeah. Somewhere along that line yep. or the housing crisis. Yep. And at a time where even I mean, I remember mm-hmm. the mentality at that point in time was oh, like, yeah. yeah, just just people were encouraged by their brokers. It seemed like a little bit, just, yeah, just tell them it's all Dude, right. They weren't
2: encouraged. The brokers filled out the paperwork. <laughs> <You> know, my <laughs> broker, my yeah. broker was a voice on the phone. I never met the guy, Wow. Yeah. you know, and I had bought and sold probably a dozen properties up to that point in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, so I wasn't some like real estate tycoon, but I, right. but I'd, you know, at the I, time, how many properties did you own? Two. Too, right. So it's not like I was so a real a, real uh, a magnet. That was real as a magnet. Real Donald 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 Trump Trump over right here. <laughs> <laughs> I was just on the edge of, <laughs> and they snatched it away. And you know, and so and so when everything fell apart, you know, one of those properties went back to the bank, you know. I, wow. I did. I freely admit, you know, I I couldn't pay for it anymore. It was a, you know, it was a but the thing people lose sight of, like it was a like a it was an expensive property. Like right. I, I have six hundred thousand dollar property that overnight was worth a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I didn't do that. I'm not the one that created. And, I, and when I say I, like no, no bar, borrowers right. didn't have the pa- power right. to create a market where prices were so overvalued. Right. And you know, and for the average investor, you know, person, this was an investment property. You know, I had a great credit score. I lost so on that property, I lost over a hundred thousand that I put down. I I lost everything. I lost everything, and the entire prosecution was over about $50,000 if you really boiled it down. I had what's called a, a 1031 tax-free exchange, you know, okay. so it was just something that I was able to get equity out of a property and this broker filled out the paperwork. That's when you roll like one rental property into another yeah. and you don't have to pay taxes. Exactly, and, and you know, it's deferred. You'll pay taxes eventually, right. but that's the way the rules but it's, work. it's you,
0: a rule that is there and it's legal and yeah, it's there to everybody. be taken advantage of.
2: Everybody mm-hmm. uses it. Right. I mean, that's not a. there's nothing uncommon about it and, um, and so much my broker, it was a, it was a stated income, like a no doc loan. <laughs> no docs is just like what it sounds like. There's no documents. Like, yeah, you're fine going right. through. I had a good credit score. And at that point, you know, again, I didn't right. make the rules, but, but it, the old joke was for them, if you had a pulse, you could get a loan. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't. Everyone knows it wasn't difficult. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, for me, sometimes people will look at me and say, you shouldn't have, like, be- because I'm a visible person who went through this thing just like about 15 million other people right and you know and and we would have uh we would have prisons full anyway long story short which is too late already (laughs) um i fought it i went to trial because i wasn't going to admit to something i didn't do and you know what i was actually found not guilty of providing false information so I wasn't found guilty of providing false information because I didn't. You know, the mortgage broker was already in prison. Like this guy forged mm. all the documentation. There was no doubt about that. The jury so what was your uh, affirmed then? that. So I was convicted of mail fraud because I signed a closing package that had inaccurate information in it. And I put it in the mail. Wow. So it didn't matter whether I knew the information was there or not. Yeah. They feel like they were making an example. Totally,
0: The New York Times article reference, I don't know if they did the research or they were just estimating, but this was something that millions of Americans were doing Mm -hmm. at the time.
2: Um, Yeah, yeah. and and really more importantly, millions of, or if not millions, but, you know, this was a... people have, we have short memories, right? There was a lack of regulation by the federal government. They basically at that point, and not to pick on George Bush at the time, but I will, he decided to grow the economy by throwing all the rules out the window. So that's the reason you could do these loans. There was no regulation. There should always be due diligence, right? Back in the, back in the day when I bought my first house and not, not to belabor this point, when I bought my first house, they crawled up my you know what with a microscope with everything and you know why because that bank was lending me their money right and they wanted to know if i was going to be able to pay it back you flash forward to what happened in the 2000s. They weren't lending their own money. They're lending like fake money from out of the air from these investment pools. And they and once the once the initial purchase yeah. was done, they didn't actually care whether the house was paid for or not because they made their commissions. And when people don't care, then obviously due diligence goes out the window because they're only worrying about yeah. getting past step one. So that's what created this this nightmare. So I. I am found guilty of that. And I'm sentenced to 21 months in federal prison in Beckley, West Virginia. And I report on Valentine's Day, 2011 to federal prison to serve my term. Mm, Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was a little concerned, you know, about being a Valentine's (laughs) Day. It just seemed like not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, it just seemed like.
0: uh, Not the right. You wanted to spend the
1: holiday that year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, but it was it was a scary day for me. Well, you're so detailed in your writing. I was so impressed at the way you tell a story and that was, yeah. And even the prison days and how many of those inmates were inspired by you and to change their lifestyle and stop eating gravy and biscuits every day and get out on the yard and go to the track. And Yeah, how many
0: laps on the track was a marathon? It was a quarter
1: mile track, right? It was
2: a quarter mile track. So, I mean, whatever that was, I know I ran bad water, so it ended up being some ridiculous, (laughs) uh, Oh, my God, I can't believe I can't remember the number. <laughs> so so it's four laps to the mile. Mm-hmm. So four hundred laps to one hundred miles. And so I did something like 581 laps or something to do 135 miles. For See, I can't bar, keep so. count like that. That'd be my biggest fear. I'd well, be like, I, I can, now I can't remember in my own book that I describe. Um, <laughs> what's funny is the draft I wrote of this book was about 750 pages <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah. for my 300 page book. And so <laughs> consequently, um, through the editing process, right. sometimes I forget what actually ended up in the final book because I, I don't, you know, yeah. well, maybe it'll surprise you. I don't well, sit I, around and read my own book. Well,
1: i bet You album, did. You so. did. You did narrate it for did, Audible. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to
2: audition for that too, which uh, I always found to be funny. Yeah, yeah. to wow. audition
1: to be Charlie Ingalls. Yeah, I did.
2: Right. I, I loved like, who it. Who else is gonna read? Yeah. I when I saw
1: it. it's read by the author, I'm like, great. <laughs> boom. Players play, and I was like, oh god, he can read too. This is great. <laughs> 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 He's telling me. that I'm like really enjoying it. And Running Man, the title of the book, that name was picked up when you were in, right? Like that. Was, it was. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I still remember
2: the guy, Anthony, who yelled across the track, "Where you going, Running Man? Where
1: you going, Running Man?" And that was it. You know,
2: and it just stuck. And Uh, Uh, I was sort of that crazy guy. You know, when I got to prison, I was scared and and I was pissed off is what I was. I was I was angry when I got there because this wasn't Mm -hmm. right. You know, Mm -hmm. and it took me about (laughs) two days to figure out and this is as a long term sober person. And so interestingly, I was the most well equipped person to go to prison ever, you know, with years of sobriety and and years of running really long distances. I sort of knew how to handle difficult situations and. So it took me a couple of days to understand that I could not I wasn't going to get through this if I did it in bitterness and anger. And mm-hmm. I was I wasn't going to make it. And so I I did. I flipped that switch and I decided to be to be curious about the situation. I'm yeah. like, I'm here. I, I had that sort of like out loud conversation with myself, with myself. I'm out running around the track and the rec yard. And I basically said, you know, fair or unfair doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You are here in prison and you are not going to leave until this sentence is over. So get over it and figure out who you're going to be in this place. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I started to run and that that yeah. sort of
1: as usual just changed everything and you were pretty good at basketball too I see <laughs> thank you for that, that but you, I, but you I missed en- you missed enough free throws not to get your ass kicked <laughs> and
2: I you know you one of those the funny the right. guy in that in that story yeah. in the book yeah. Big mo yeah. This, you know, 6'6", six, six, uh, African-American <laughs> yeah. who looked mean as hell, but was the nicest guy I'm ever, sure, yeah. who, you know, when he put his hand on my shoulder. So the story is, of course, I won a three-point contest the weekend after I got to, to prison. And, and it turned out that winning something right after you get there not a good as idea. a middle-aged white guy on the basketball court was not, <laughs> not a strategic smartest. No, no, it was not. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I saw Big Mo. Uh, when I got out years later, mm-hmm. I ran into him in Wilmington, wow. North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, it was yeah. just such a great oh, wow. meeting. Really yeah. And yeah. we laughed about that situation even. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I found my way by running and and I did what I like to call in 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 addiction recovery. You know, it's known as attraction rather than promotion. I certainly didn't go around prison telling guys, hey, you know, you're, you're a little overweight. You look like you could lose, you know, you should run some miles. Not a good just idea. How to, how to make
0: friends in prison exactly. Charlie England. No. There's your next book. But, Immediately win competitions
2: uh, right. and insult the body and mass index. Them, right? of the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of the population. And, and, but slowly guys started coming up to me after a while and saying, hey, you know, and they didn't know who I was in there. I mean, right. I was nobody in there. And they would come up and just say, hey, can you teach me? How to run. Can you help me? Because, you know, what they saw was the results of running for me. They mm. saw me getting through a really hard situation and using running yeah. as a tool yeah. for God, just decompression and health and not just physical health, but mental health. I mean, yeah. it, it it saved me. It saved me. Running saved me time and time again. And it and it it still does today. Yeah. I got so
0: many questions.
2: Bring on. Keep going. I know I don't run too long.
0: You started with the idea of penance, uh, or we were talking about it earlier, and you are running for penance. And I'm curious are you running for something different in the 5.8? Do you feel like you served your time, like literally and figuratively, you served your time? I am. am. So did your motivation change, and what are you running for now?
2: Very, man, great question. Thank you for that. Because I don't, I hadn't actually thought about it in those terms, but I am no longer punishing myself. Like there's no, I don't feel badly about who I am these days. I still am insecure. You know, I'm that addict still tells me I'm not good enough. And that, you know, man, a drink or a drug would sure make the social situation easier. Like there's still that voice in me that I, you know, that I choose to ignore, but I'm no longer like, I'm a terrible person or or something's wrong with me. So, you know, I'm trying to figure that out by by beating the answers out of me today. It is it is genuinely all about discovery. And I I think what's happening to I'm 56 years old now. Yeah. Right. So so there is the inevitable march of time right. that is colliding with my goals. Yeah. And I sort of look at it and say, oh, I've got another five, 10, 15 years of fairly high level exploration in me, but I need to get on with this, you know? So, so part of it is what's beautiful is I am, I'm also married to, you know, second marriage. I got married five years ago. I'm also married to a woman who is a a preeminent uh, wildlife biologist in the world. She's an ornithologist by Mm. trade. So a bird expert. And you know, she lived in the Amazon for years. I, I consider her like the, the Jane Goodall of the bird world. And no, so yeah. she lived with the birds. Yeah. yeah. And so we have this, they're a lot less dangerous, in the world, <laughs> in but, you know, we, you know, we have this, um, and not to overshare her story, but she's been through some hard, she's had cancer a few times and, and when she shouldn't have survived and yet here she is. And so we, we sort of bonded in a way over mutual suffering and we understand the value of time. And mm-hmm. so we try to spend our time going to the corners of the planet to discover new things and it's cultural exploration. I mean, what is there yeah. in the world other than learning about other people maybe trying to make an impact and help other people. I am launching another nonprofit called We Are One Village with a, a group of people. So it's weareonevillage.org, which is literally just launching now. And it it has a more uh, broad focus rather than water.org. It it is about water. It's about human rights. It's about AIDS. It's about so whatever happens to be going on in the part of the planet that I'm going to, that's what we're going to focus on. And Mm -hmm. so it's about bringing change and attention to those things. And look, I do believe that you, you it is a responsibility to for me to go out there and try to to tell stories. That's really all I am as a storyteller. It's all I want to be is I want to go to places and talk to people about their lives. And I use running as a mechanism to get there. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome.
1: What's your favorite food?
2: <laughs> oh, man, it's got to be. So I am a. <laughs> I am vegan, right? Oh, so wow. I mean, a know. lot of vegans say that apologetically. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I am what? vegan. And, you know, and I just blew my chance to actually, like, for the first time, say plant based because I'm trying to get away from saying vegan, which is really the same thing. Yeah, but plant based sounds less weird somehow. I yeah. don't know. People, it doesn't sound like you have a uniform. Like yeah, vegan right. sounds like I wear it a does. certain right. uniform right. to right. work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a well, vegan. That's all right. And there is a militant aspect of veganism sometimes that that escapes me because yeah. I don't. I don't think that. That absolutes are ever effective.
0: No, I think you're right. I don't think plant-based has the connotation yeah. that's been on all the shows and yeah. SNL and being boxed. Yeah, yeah as, no doubt.
2: as vegan. It's vegan. <laughs> well, here's the thing, too, about that sort of lifestyle is I I live it just like I was saying with running. It's attraction rather than promotion. If somebody mm. has a curiosity about it, they can ask me. I'll throw it out there. It's the same way I feel about religion, not to dive into religion, but you know, I don't want somebody dumping their beliefs on me. If they bring it up. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a sentence or something, they put out a keyword or something like that. If I have questions, I'll ask, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and then it's like then you got permission to tell me all about it. Otherwise, right. keep it to yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, vegans you know, are
0: like the Mormons of the yeah, right. The food world. It's just cross. Have you heard amazing. about the good news? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's at the door.
2: <laughs> it's the vegan. Now, I will say, you know, look, people ask me why. First of all, I mean, it is a it is a lifestyle that it's healthier as far yeah. as I'm concerned. It's, it works for me. Is it a diet to you, or is it your diet? No, it's just my. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's a the, diets a word eat. that I don't like. So it's a uh, it's a it's just what I eat. You know, I don't I don't ever deprive myself of anything. Like I'm, but but it is also this. Um, I, I I don't want to go too deeply into this, but I mean the unsustainability of our uh, <laughs> of our planet these days is beyond denial. And I mean, people will still deny it, but I don't. You know, it's just not. You know, you cannot. Um, you cannot look at what's going on these days and the you know animal farming especially in a state like North Carolina and not at least if you haven't delved in if you think it's not a problem it's only because you haven't bothered to look mm-hmm. and and it's just a problem and it is it is unsustainable so i don't i don't beat people up and say you shouldn't eat meat i say look take a look at the take a look at the issue and uh-huh. maybe there's a middle ground how do you get you your know? protein yeah. And, and, you know, that's the question, right? And what's funny is I get so much more protein. I mean, over a hundred grams of protein a day, uh, and so much more than, than meat eaters because, mm-hmm. you know, animal protein, first of all, is incredibly inefficient. So I get it from nuts and legumes and, uh, yes, I eat. I eat, as I call it, fake meat. So, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, there's a company out there um, called Beyond Meat that's, like, my go-to these days. So, Uh, my wife doesn't actually like she's been vegan forever and I don't like she doesn't like fake meat because she didn't like meat to begin with. Oh Yeah. So, like, why would you replace something that you didn't actually like? So, so she's so. not missing it. Not like, missing I grew it, up yeah. in the south, you know, so it's yeah. not like I miss it necessarily, but yeah. I'm not bothered by, you know, the texture of it, yeah. you know, or whatever. But I, you know, so protein is easy to come by. And most, you know, most vegetables, I, I do use an organic non-whey protein. Uh, that I eat every day, along with a, a you know a greens kind of a thing and a smoothie, or just with some almond milk or something. Mm, yeah. You know, dairy is a big issue. I don't do dairy, and when you know we all are allergic to dairy, whether we know it or not. Like mm. you, cows are cows are the only ones meant to drink cow's milk. That's what I tell my wife with our five year old.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, pounding the milk. I'm like, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah, yeah.
2: Not only what's in it, but it. It you know if you stop. And not to like tell you, I'm not telling you how to parent, but if you want to like get one over on your wife here a little bit or prove a point, sure. Give your kid almond milk for a month. Mm-hmm. All right. Just switch over to almond milk and then give them a glass of regular milk and, you know, and basically watch them just, you know, shit their pants for two days. Because that's what's going to happen. They're just going to spend all day, every day farting because, you know, that's (laughs) that's what dairy does to our system. It's not a it's not an accident. The only reason it doesn't happen all the time, if you drink it all the time, is because you're, you know. Your body's fighting to adapt to it, you know, to neutralize this, uh,
1: these crazy things that you're putting in. Maybe it. we're being set up for flatulation tax. <laughs> it's not just cows, guys. It's, a it's coming to humans, so that's too. that's what they mean about gas. Tax. Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah. Vote against it. Nick six or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. The,
0: so... Back to what Josh was talking about. Uh, There's some professions that seem to allow the top of the field to continue to produce like past a certain age. Like I think Mm. movies, I think like Ridley Scott or Martin Scorsese, Clint Eastwood, they're still at the top of the game and they're still producing. Do you feel like sports have a shorter shelf life and, and do you also feel like you're getting edged out of your discipline? Because of
2: your age. Actually, what's interesting about ultra distance is, you know, it is sort it is sort of the opposite. You know, I can continue to be pretty darn competitive in a hundred mile race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, as you can tell with 5.8 and there's other, I've got other really, you know, crazy ideas that... You know, self-made adventures are, you know, there's, there's no limit to those. And, and professionally, I consider myself to be a producer, a filmmaker and a writer. Okay. So I need to go. So
0: you feel yourself in
2: that category. You're like, no, I'm doing all right. Totally. So (laughs) I need to go out there and do things. The thing is, I'm not a writer. I don't, I don't pull from, you know, thin air. I need to go do something.
0: What did you learn from the documentary process
1: about? producing producing,
2: have greater control (laughs) no i'm kidding so part of it and if you see the film and i'm glad you guys enjoyed it now i don't want to dive down this rabbit hole but you know some people see it and they see me as nothing but an asshole yeah some see it and they see i was gonna say i
0: think i know what you're talking about i felt like because i think we've been trained watching so much reality tv Mm -hmm. that there was a moment where the two other characters what were their names
2: Yeah, Ray and and Kevin. Yeah, they were. Actually, you brought up a point. That was a good point right there. They were running
0: towards the end and it felt like a forced TV moment. It did, right? Where they're like, they were like, this is how the setup of the scene is. Yeah. Charlie has got an injury and they're going to take a nap so that Charlie can keep hobbling along so that they can make it in time. Yeah. And then he starts to feel better and starts running at a blistering pace, which is not true at all. And then there was like this weird, didn't match the rest of the movie since a panic from the two main, did he leave us? Does he hate us now? It just wasn't the tone of the movie at all. Like he's going to finish without us. And then they catch up in like three minutes. Yeah.
2: Dude, you, probably- just, you just made my day because, <laughs> because I, I'd say, because I sound like I might be defending too much, but, you know, in the social media world, you know, that, that scene became the divisive thing. And, you know, what, yeah. a, what a jerk, what a whatever. And I, I would say like, why would I? why would I basically pull these guys yeah. for over 4,000 miles across the desert and yeah. leave them on the last day? Like if I wanted to script, <laughs> how can I make myself look like the biggest yeah. dick in the world? Yeah. That's how I, I would do it. I convince this yeah. guy
0: who wants to quit over and over right. again with loving to speeches and hugs yeah. and encouragement. And you can do it. Don't quit. Believe in yourself. And then I'm like, gotcha.
2: Right. And this was, you know, this was a, there was 500 hours of footage. And once that footage got into the editing room, um you know a very creative editor you know told what he felt like was the most compelling story that he could tell and i will say like you just said something a second ago that is the the filmmakers point to me he's like they showed the film to test audiences wow. right and they only remembered me which i'm not saying is a good thing or whatever but mm-hmm. like so i was whether i was the villain. Or the hero sort of depended on your background more than what was on yeah. the screen. <laughs> if you had a coach that like <laughs> yelled at you and you hated that in gym class mm-hmm. or you yeah. have whatever, then you probably didn't like me in the film.
0: What's that called? The Warshaw test where they show you the ink blots? Yeah,
2: Warshaw yeah. yeah. or whatever. Everybody is, sees yeah. what
1: they see. Well, that's think, art too. It's a subjective yeah. experience for the viewer, right? Most so. of film is that way.
2: Yeah. And you when you and they found that if, if a person was a, a CEO or a, or a policeman or firefighter or military or whatever, they saw my point of view, or at least the way I was portrayed, that I was single-minded and focused to get to the end. That's what we had signed up to do. And they viewed it as
0: leadership. They got the team. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Whereas, you know, others, you know, again, the, the, and, and, you know, look, man, people pick on things when, when not to go back to the prison thing, but like, so when I was arrested and talk about the downfall, Mm -hmm. so the film had been out for a couple of years. So those people who thought I was a jerk in the film, guess what? They're like, the yes, day I was arrested is like, see, yeah, I told you that guy yeah. was this and that or whatever. Yeah. Like it it somehow provided this firestorm of justification for those people mm-hmm. that I was obviously a terrible person. And, you know, and I may be, but it wasn't for those reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it is. Look, I, I don't blame. I actually don't blame people for that. And w- what I found was. And I think this works in business as entrepreneurs, everything people are going to have opinions. And what I have learned in this day and age is if you it's not that you don't rebut it or whatever, but if you argue too much or (laughs) if you are foolish enough to respond to a negative comment online, it will be a never ending cycle of people taking shots at you. So what I like to do is actually respond by agreeing with people, because most of the time if they call me a jerk. There's a nugget of truth in there. Totally. Like I am, you know, my wife teases me because I like to generously say I'm like 90% nice guy and 10% <laughs> asshole. And she's like, eh, you might know, have your ratios off yeah. a little bit there. Wives have an insider track on the ratios <laughs> where most people might be like, yeah, it creeps like, up a little eh, bit. Let's call it 70-30. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and so certainly that part of me, so the people that yeah. say that. You know, they are hitting a target because they yeah. because there is that part of me that says, am I? Is that what I am? Yeah. Like, maybe I am. Yeah, I am. Because here's these incidents that prove that I'm an asshole. But we're not you know, we're not all hopefully. I mean, I don't think any of us. We're not all anything. Yeah. You know, we're, we're that thing in a moment or in a phase or. Yeah. Or in a relationship even. I mean, there, there are times when it just is, for whatever reason, that situation brings out, right. you know, the worst in us. And and so the idea is continuous forward movement always and to have a certain level of acceptance. Um, the other thing I would say about that is, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, why do we spend... If nine out of ten people love us, why do we focus all our attention on that tenth person mm-hmm. and trying to get them? It's
0: got to be a sickness in a the certain hell way. The
2: with them! You know, kick them to the curb, like like yeah. eliminate that person from your life and spend time with the people that you love and that love you. We and were that, talking about that just yesterday. You know, the
0: idea of like not just people's interpretation of you, but even in the development of yourself, like. Is it worth your time? Let's say you have 10 let's say you have nine strengths. Let's make the thing equal here. Nine strengths and one weakness. We like to gravitate towards that one weakness Mm -hmm. and we're normally weak in it because we're not naturally gifted or passionate about that particular thing. So a lot of people will spend and waste so much time trying to fix that ninth thing when they've got these nine strengths over here that would have got them so much more further momentum if they would have put focus and energy on this. And I think it's the same with people, but there is something about that. Like I look at like, like Google reviews, right? There's something like 10,000 one-star reviews of Harry Potter. So you can objectively <laughs> say that Harry Potter is a good book based on how every kid has read it. And like my daughter is a giant fan. yeah. And, um, in I do, I do some work for small businesses and, and they'll get one-star reviews every once in a while. And the eye wants to go right to that, yeah. but they're like. One for every 25, five stars and nobody goes in the middle anymore. Yeah. It's like you're five stars. He did it. Congratulations. Yeah. One star idiot. I hate everything about you. Yeah. You're the worst. I hope this hurts. No threes. You know?
2: <laughs> Well, you do this podcast long enough. You'll feel some of that pain <laughs> yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. it, it won't matter how good a job you're doing or whatever. Eventually. Yeah. You know, someone will say something hurtful either yeah. either because they actually mean it or just because that's just the way people are. You know, yeah. they 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 feel power in that, you know, in that yeah. negativity. And and I'm happy to say I don't spend any time. I don't spend any time there. I do. You know, if I'm unlucky enough to come across a negative comment somewhere, you know, it it's still. It still bothers me. I'll, I, I will be remiss if I didn't say. So I'm I'm launching. You know, I work for Spartan races also okay. these days. Oh, have we talked about that? No, no. So anyway, I'm working for Spartan, and I have been for a while. Joe DeSena, who's the founder of Spartan Obstacle Course Races, is a friend of mine. We've known each other since the 90s. So I came on board this year to launch a a 12-race uh, trail running series cool. for them. So no obstacles except ones that I can make you jump over or whatever yeah. out there in the woods but but my my point of this is once again, that's it's put me in the spotlight, and all of a sudden I'm a, uh, you know, I'm working with the man, um. you know, the corporate, the big corporate giant that's going to come in and smash all of the little, you know, local mom and pop trail. Like races. somehow
0: the success of Spartan diminishes your joy from running in the morning.
2: Yeah, like <laughs> it's like, and and you know, it's it's funny. So I've had that experience again lately where I've had to like just set aside yeah. the negativity from. Yeah, it's just it's a small, it's a really small group of people that needs to always find something to complain about. Yeah. And yeah. and the fact is, you know, what Spartan is doing in that situation. I don't know if you guys have ever done a Spartan race, but you know, it's No, welcomed. but I have
0: watched the T V show. Does yeah. that count? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's welcoming new people into the sport because yeah. they're five, they're 10 K and half marathon trail runs. And it's like yeah. getting people and out it's there.
0: Teamwork, which is, yeah, it's it's, in, it's good TV, it's awesome. the TV
2: show. Yeah. Cause you're rooting for it. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> totally. So anyway, I've had that experience again recently where, you know, I put myself out there publicly and yeah. every once in a while, somebody's going to shoot arrows at you. So,
0: all right, here's my big question. <clears throat> okay. I've been waiting all for right. it. Oh man. Oh, no. It's kind of a bit philosophical too. Uh,
2: but, I don't do philosophy. Okay.
0: Well, then it's not philosophical. It's just a regular question. I think everything I said today was philosophical. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty,
1: pretty heavy. Go ahead.
0: All right. So we've been talking about highs and lows. Yeah. Do you believe that there's a one-to-one ratio? Do you think you need to go super low to get soup? There seems to be a correlation. There's not a lot of people that have spent the majority of their life in average Mm. and then done something that left an imprint on a lot of people.
2: Yeah. Well, I, man, I love the question because isn't it interesting how the vast majority of people who are who are wealthy or would outrelieve and say they're wealthy will tell you the story of the time they only had a dollar? Right, right. Like
0: Dave Ramsey runs a really popular right. podcast. He went yeah. bankrupt, or yep. Trump, exactly. or whoever. They've all been. Yeah.
2: Trump's the only one who doesn't actually brag about being bankrupt yeah you yeah. know he, he <laughs> pretends somehow as if I don't know he's always been successful so <laughs> um but you most people do take pride in the fact that they've weathered some storms yeah. and so i but i I do think that in general that, that okay it comes down to you asked its philosophy optimism is true moral courage mm mm-hmm. All right. And that's not my saying. That's actually Ernest Shackleton, uh, Polar Explorer from the early We'll cut that 1900s, out. We'll just make so. you sound really smart. <laughs> Thank <all> you. <laughs> I don't want to anybody to like say, you didn't say that. And the point of that is oh, anybody. First one star review. Charlie Ingalls <laughs> <laughs> Lion. <No. laughs> anybody can be optimistic when things are going your way. Right. But yeah. who are you and, and, and what are you about? Can you be optimistic when things are not right. good? And I think that, you know, we know the people. Uh, who approach every situation from the glasses half empty yeah. side of things, and they're miserable to be around, frankly, and not always. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, they're. It's a tough way to go about it because it's a hedging, right? That's all they're doing. They're afraid that things are always going to be bad. Therefore, it's easier for them to immerse themselves in the negativity and the and the downside. Because if you just stay there. Mm-hmm. Then somehow it it puts salve on the wound of not ever having yeah. the success or being afraid that you're not going to have it again. I, I freely admit that I choose probably the <laughs> pie in the sky version right. where I do genuinely believe that good is going to come out of hardship and that, that in fact, I need to seek that hardship in order to have any appreciation for Mm -hmm. the, the awesomeness in life.
0: Yeah. Mm. It might not be binary. Like you might not be able to manufacture it, but it seems like from listening to your story to put yourself in a situation, like I'm going to run from the lowest point on earth and then climb Everest. It seems like you're doing everything you can to put yourself in a situation where you can have a mountaintop experience.
2: Totally. And failure is a necessary um, side effect or, or the likelihood yeah. of failure, I should say yeah. is an absolute, if it wasn't, if there was no chance of not succeeding, Mm-mm. then why the hell would I do it?
0: Yeah. We just had a guy on the podcast last week, Andy Andrews, the episode just, just went out and he was, he's in the tennis hall of fame. He has an athletic mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said he doesn't, he only learned from the, from the setbacks. Yeah, Like that's the only time we grow. We yeah. don't, we don't grow when we're, Everything's great.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and you know most people have to find their way to that honesty, or they never risk in un- they never risk enough to have the experience for themselves. Like I have no, no. I I, it's I like don't winning wanna... the penny slots. Yeah, you got thirty bucks. Yeah. And whereas the loss, if you lost $50 in the penny slots, you would feel that loss. Most people yeah. would. Because more. you would
0: have lost straight for like four days. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Right. That takes a lot of work. Just,
2: I'm not a good gambler. Just change because, your attitude
0: about life. I am a loser. Yeah. I am a loser. <laughs> I'm
2: not a good gambler because the, the, the few times I did gamble, like if I won $500, you know, it certainly didn't change my life. But yeah. if I lost 500 it felt... <laughs> awful oh, yeah. you know it, it was just it was terrible and so that's not the kind of gamble that i you know that's there's no payoff on either side of that gamble for yeah. me but you know i i think that it's it's about not wasting your time you know not seeking comfort and not 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 having the desire to <sighs> yeah okay i'm gonna say this one this one thing so and this is not being critical of parents. So I don't want to get letters, you know, or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I don't care. Um, you know, why would you work hard to to learn and become a fully formed human being yourself, then in your twenties, whatever, ha- start having kids and abandon all of your dreams and and suddenly switch everything that you want positive in your life to your children, like somehow shift all energy and focus and hope and joy and everything to your kids. Instead of doing a combination, continuing to chase your own dreams, mm. go. Cause you're not, you're not teaching your kids to follow dreams by abandoning yours. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't do anything. So find a way to continue to shoot for the stars for the things that you want to accomplish in your own yeah. life, while supporting your children to follow, you know, to find their own dreams, not right. not live yours, and and so and I'm you know it's a it's a tough balance, yeah. and and only age and perspective gives me, you <laughs> yeah, know, it can you know. be tough
0: as a parent too. Another component of what you're talking about is we all know that it's the failures that cause us to grow yet. We have in a desire as parents to protect our kids from the failures. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of know mentally we should let them fail, but we're kind of looking for like, like PG versions of failures for our kids. Like,
2: uh,
0: oh, you didn't get the A plus. Yeah. Well, Here's okay. your gold star anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, so, don't, so we teach them, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a gold star no matter what. Yeah. Because I love you.
0: Well, that's how all the marathons work, right? Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> exactly.
2: Just showing up. Well, and yeah. that's a, that's the thing is, is, you know, and I think I did a pretty good job with my kids. I think they would say the same. There's some things they would, you know, they would tell you that in some ways they'd rather I was around more when they were little because I was going a lot, both with work and my chasing around the world. Um, But what they are now in their 20s, what they're doing is they're out there now Uh like they're not afraid to go try anything. Mm, And I I think that that is to me, that's that's a great payoff for. You know, for that, because just because you're an adult doesn't mean you have to abandon. Yeah. You know, I get I get the thing all the time is people say, I want to run an ultra, but I got two small kids. I'm like, what? How? Where, did, carry the them? Cor- <laughs> right, where did the correlation <laughs> between those two things? You know, that is a cop out. If I've ever heard one, you yeah. know, there is no place on the planet where you can't figure that out. <laughs> You know, people all over the world do indeed like literally carry their kids on their backs while they work. You know, you can find a way to run a 50 miler, you know, six months from now while still not doing permanent damage to your
0: children. It's a convenient excuse. It Speaking is. of convenient excuses, uh, yeah. so part of the show is Josh and I like to challenge each other to do stuff. And okay. I said, "Man, we're talking to Here Charlie Engel. I feel like you and I should run a marathon." And Josh's yeah. response was, "That seems like a lot of work.
1: <laughs> That's a big commitment." <laughs> to be honest, I mean, we have, <laughs> I, we have other goals this year. I'm working on things. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm just, I'm just hard. He didn't say, "Dude, right my now. mom ran a marathon." <laughs> no. So if you were going to give us okay. advice, like
2: yeah.
0: running a marathon, what's the best advice from one of the best at it? Yeah. You-
2: easy. It's easy. So the, the the key would be because what I heard you just say there too, Josh, you have other goals and, and maybe those other goals are. And I'm picking on him, but I, I feel the exact same way. Like, yeah. No, but here, here would be my point. Usually it is. Time oriented. You know, a lot of people use the time excuse. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to do it. So what I say is like, and this is the truth for me. I never train by distance. I only train by time point. So the point is, you can't tell me that you don't have 30 minutes today or 45 minutes or an hour. Whereas in your mind, if you're going, I got to run six miles today or I got to run eight miles. It's Mm. like somehow the weight and burden of that is overbearing. Whereas right. if you will eliminate that, that emotional pressure on yourself. And like, if you have an hour today, here we are in North Carolina, it's ridiculously warm and it shouldn't right. be and whatever, but I'm still going to go enjoy it. You know, you go outside for 30 minutes, you, you put a podcast on your headphones. You actually, maybe you work technically while you're yeah. get a good pair of headphones where you can do a couple of your phone calls while you're running. Seriously. And go out there and and go easy. The biggest mistake people make early on in training for a marathon or any race. You guys both remember what it was like to be 13 years old. And like, you're just man, you come yeah. home from school and you run out the door like you run everywhere because yeah. that's just the that's the way you get remember places. The, yeah, you and, get
0: older and you're like, now you have to get in shape like I just used right, to be in shape right. when I was little. <laughs> like, exactly.
2: So so you you gauge and you end up judging the feelings of it based on those first few weeks when, you know, your body is all of a sudden adjusting this new stress that you're giving it again. Yeah. And, and, and you have to like any other habit that you need to get into, you need to go into it with the mentality. Okay. I'm given this 90 days and I'm not going to do a time. I'm not going to do a, a mileage based program. It's going to be based on time. So let's say your goal is to run a five hour marathon, You know, at some point during this process of training, you're going to go out there on a Saturday and you're going to try to stay on your feet for four hours. It might mean that you walk for four hours. You might do a combination of walking and jogging. Mm. It's not, you know, goal setting, especially time based goal setting and running is once you've established your your goals (laughs) like first of all just get out there and start doing it you know do don't worry about social media and who's going to say anything about your slow ass time well then how
0: would we be able to post (laughs) it with the cool little mileage and map with a picture of us like smiling like look at what i did
2: still post and actually that is a great that's a great tool and i do encourage people and and admire you know someone will post something and it and it's a You know, it is, you know, they're out there running 13 minute miles and not caring about sharing that with other people. And okay, this is a good way to finish because I got to go in a minute, but (laughs) share the struggle. You know, the biggest mistake people make, especially with social media, is they like to show how awesome things are. Yeah, curated life. Yeah, I prefer to share the struggle because everybody struggles and it makes us human. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's addiction and recovery, whether it's running, whether it's prison, whatever the hell it is, it's way more interesting to share. The, and it can't be all struggle, too. Look, we also get on there and there's people who are having a friggin' surgery every other day or something. Yeah. And there's like, I'm not saying you have to share every personal right, but Don't omit the struggle. Right. And, and talk about how today's run sucked. I felt like crap yeah, and I didn't think I was going to get through it. And it was a terrible experience and I hope tomorrow's better. Yeah. You know, do that once in a while, instead of, you know, yeah. I'm filled with gratitude. <laughs> you know, I'm not filled with gratitude every friggin' minute of the I watched day. I watch the sunrise <laughs> while I finished the
0: four minute yeah. mile. The point <laughs> is to
2: hopefully get some of those days. You know, yeah. as we're doing this, you uh, that's know, be, really,
0: I feel like that's more manageable. I feel like I can devote an amount of time, yeah. but it is daunting
2: to, you could train for a marathon on three days a week and you could do it time-based and, you know, yeah, on a weekend, you might have to get up at five o'clock in the morning so you can be home for the kids when they get up for breakfast, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You might have to make some quote unquote, I'm doing yeah. air quotes for people, you know, uh, <laughs> sacrifices, right. you know, to accommodate lifestyle, but not much,
0: but you're right. Like that's the exact same feelings I had I was teasing Josh for was when you say it's a big time commitment, you mean time. Yeah. Because that's the only thing we really have that is of super value.
2: Well, and it's also, (laughs) you know, spouses, you know, people will say, you know, my wife is going to give me a hard time. I'm like, look, give me your give me your wife's number.
0: Yeah. Because. Wives hate it when you're in shape and your body looks good. And um, yeah.
2: And, well, you're <laughs> right. and you have energy, and well, and first of all, they hate it, that it, stuff. <laughs> the, the, the point is also to make it fair. You know, if 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 your wife isn't also getting time to herself uh, yeah. to go do something that's fulfilling for her, uh-huh. you stay here and watch the kids and do the dishes. Yeah, I'm gonna go you, run. You've missed the formula already. <laughs> if that's if that's not happening, uh-huh. you've missed the formula already. Yeah, uh-huh. bigger. You have a bigger problem. But but usually our spouses, wives or husbands, will say that we are we're happier and we're a better person to be around if we are running or if we're engaging in something at least for a little while every day that and and again that also teaches the kids right right it teaches your kids that you have a life that you have things you like to Mm -hmm. do that are independent from them and that not every minute of every single day is is centered on their lives yeah Mm
0: Charlie, you're a super inspirational dude. Thank you yes. so much for being on the podcast
2: with us. You guys have been great. Yeah. Good, good questions, man. You you hit me with a few that, that uh yeah, good ones. This is so good. Thank yeah. you, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. Uh, I hope I can come back and talk about 5.8 again later. Oh,
0: man, so. we would love that so yeah. much. Absolutely. I'm doing,
2: by the way, the first event, I'm doing this on all seven continents because Dead Sea to Everest isn't enough. So in a few months, I'm oh, actually yeah. going to be doing Africa. So going from the lowest place in Africa to the top of Kilimanjaro. So that's in June and July. So on
0: your vacation, you you'll do Australia. Yeah, yeah tiny, exactly.
2: And uh, for those who want to follow 5.8 project.com. 5.8 project.com. Yeah,
0: we'll put place. a link on the yeah.
2: On the cool. Blog. Thank you guys. Appreciate awesome. It.
0: So uh, thanks again, man. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Great. See you again. All right. Have a good day, everybody. We're never good with the sign offs. We usually make fun of how poorly we, we end the podcast and leave that in the show. So why should today be an exception? It's over now.
2: Here, let me try. So <laughs> right, get yeah. on get on with your lives today and go out there and make a difference. Yeah.
0: Or just say like Charlie Engel.
2: Yeah.
1: Charlie Engel. That's it. Do this stuff.
0: These podcasts are getting more and more fun.
1: They are. And you bang your mic way more often lately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You must be excited because I I get excited, too. And when we introduce people like Charlie Engel, I get like, you know, I make plosives on them. It's like, what am I doing? I get excited. You're but, explosive. Anyway, so, yeah, Charlie was here. I read his book and we watched his movie. And yeah. it was just like just such a ride to go on. You
0: recommend the book, Josh?
1: I recommend the book. It's called Running Man. Stellar photograph on the, on the cover. And uh, it's Charlie running up a, a mountain. And it's his memoir. Yeah, it's his memoir. He gave us a signed copy, which was so nice. I'm excited to read it. I am so excited to, to, to read it. Also, I listened to the audio version of it and uh, he narrates the audio version. So if you're in that, th- in that kind of thing, audible audio yeah. book, uh, he narrates it. A couple
0: other things we talked about on the show are more ways to get in touch with Charlie or follow him. His Instagram handle is at Charlie Engel and you can find him on Facebook at Charlie Engel Runs. Yeah. You can like his page. Yeah. He also mentioned the the starting of weareonevillage.org and how he was going to be, and this is a popular theme that people have been doing on our podcast, leveraging what they're passionate about to make a difference yeah. through what they're already doing. Yeah. And so Charlie's starting this nonprofit and he set it up is talking about how he's going to get involved in the countries where he's currently traveling. So we went and we checked out the website and we're just going to talk a little bit about one of the things that's on there that's super cool. Um, one of the ways he's going to start to partner. But we are onevillage.org again. There is a vodka company that I can't pronounce
1: do you, are you good with Filipino
0: uh, pronunciation? I'm
1: not sure. that. Uh, it just looks like Vuquo Vuquo Vodka. Fuqua it's Fuqua the first vodka. premier
0: vodka distilled from coconuts and based in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Now in California at Raley's Grocery Stores and for every purchase, WAOV is going to plant a coconut tree in the Philippines to support the reforestation of devastated plantations caused by hurricanes and global climate changes.
1: I just have to say, WAOV, wouldn't that be We Are One Village?
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense so we are one village now the part i left out which is super awesome Mm -hmm. is that they're going to plant
1: these trees with drones with drones with drones yeah unbelievable
0: how weird is that you're just hanging on your backyard it's like is that a tree
1: hey there's a drone Mm -hmm. let's shoot it out of the sky (laughs) no sonny it's carrying a tree
0: (laughs) well what a cool idea so yeah check that out there's ways you can get involved there and uh we also mentioned in the middle of the podcast that Josh and I are gonna do the NC mile, NC Beer Mile. We found out some more information about it. It is May twenty third at five o'clock. Bond Brothers, I think, is sponsoring it. It's a
1: one mile run in Cary, North Carolina with beer. Yes. You and- you run,
0: you well, this is how this is how it's described on the website. Uh run, drink, repeat. It's simple. Drink one 12-ounce cup of beer and then run a quarter mile and then repeat that four times. The fastest beer mile runner wins bragging rights for the entire year that's the kind of thing i
1: do anyway on my own like every week <laughs> is that not how just... we've been training up to this point <laughs> <laughs> that's our marathon <laughs> training program <laughs> just like your step one drink and run step one yeah it's weird because it's harder at the front oh. of the race
0: because you're carrying multiple six packs based on how far you're going yeah you know but now we're not going to train like that i'm going to run by time
1: I'm really like, well, you know, running lately. Inspired by Charlie, I went for a run. am like, I didn't want to drink. I just wanted to run, and it's just <laughs> yeah. This this arguably sounds like a really
0: bad idea, but also very fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's challenge. Be, for they us.
0: encourage costumes. What do you so, wear? Yeah. Uh, clothes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a costumes guy. You're
1: not a costumes guy. I, don't think yet, I own
0: uh, a costume. I used to own a pair of, uh, uh, their, uh, their onesies, like adult onesies. Remember when those were popular? Yeah, I do. But and it was the blue tuxedo from, uh, Dumb and Dumber. If
1: I if I wear a costume, which I will, because it's costume encouraged and you don't, you're going to look like an idiot. I don't You're know gonna if that's that what's going to happen if I look like You're going to be that guy <laughs> at the Halloween party that's not in costume. Isn't there Jake? kind
0: of a, I, can I go as a runner? Like wear the really short shorts.
1: <laughs> like they made you wear in cross country when you were in high school. Why don't you wear a seventies running outfit with the, with the headband well, and now, the jean
0: shorts? Now I got to buy stuff. Anyways, it's going to be fun. All right. Yeah, it do is. That. It's, uh, I think it's by the Bond brothers. Yeah. I think they're the ones that are sponsoring it. NC Beer Mile. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Keep
1: on rocking in the free world.
0: Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast.